0: This is Max Barry. You're listening to Booked. These guys will actually reenact scenes from the book for your listening pleasure. There's no length that they won't go to.
1: Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson.
2: And I'm Livius Nedden. This week we're reviewing Gripped by a um, very, very recent guest here on the podcast, Jason Donnelly. Um, it, it wasn't on our calendar to be reviewed, but after talking to Jason, I didn't see how, you know, we didn't see how there was a way we could not review it.
1: Yeah, I'm just pissed that my good friend Aston Kutcher didn't tell me to read it
2: straight yeah, away. I, I, had to, I had to get it from the author. I've been calling, uh, I've been calling uh, Penn Gillette all week. Yeah. I'm um, trying to see what he thought of it, but he's uh, he's not answering my calls either. Oh,
1: man.
2: You know what I think, Rob? What's I think that? your personality is what's holding you back. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, maybe that might be the case. It we'll, uh, uh, looks like we'll find out, huh? Yes, we will. Here's a little bit about Jason Donnelly, in case you didn't hear this on our last uh, episode of Booked. Jason Donnelly is a writer in New York City currently seeking world domination. He has an MFA in creative writing and a horrible amount of debt from a university in Pennsylvania that shall not be named. Over the years, he's held the title of juggler, college recruiter, adjunct professor, headhunter, and is currently a copywriter at a New York City ad agency. Find out more than you ever want to know about him here. www.jasonwdonnelly.com Dot com Alright, a
1: little bit about Grips. We heard it somewhat in his own words when we interviewed him in our previous episode. The Three Authors episode, number 170. But this is the synopsis that we pulled from, I'm assuming, Amazon. Have you ever read an advertisement and felt like it was written directly to you? Well, what if it was? And if you were told that there's an underground group telling you and those around you what to buy, what to wear, and what to consume, join the fun the only thing holding you back is your own personality. We recommend you read Gripped with a nice bottle of water.
2: Do you think it doesn't say Evian because the Evian people might have been pissed?
1: Pro- yeah, probably. I wonder if they reached out to them just to see if they could get like an endorsement of some kind.
2: Probably not. I'm assuming probably not. <laughs> I'm just try- I'm trying to put this, <laughs> this very... Um, Masturbatory laden book together with Evian water and like some type of marketing campaign, <laughs> and I'm I'm having trouble.
1: <laughs> the Evian people are like, it. they're like, look, we really think that it could have been a good match, but there is probably about sixty five too many references to masturbation for us,
0: <laughs>
2: leaving only about sixty three.
1: Right. They were okay with. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, and, and we're really ribble, liberal with uh, masturbation references. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
2: Frank, so frankly, that, we're, we're
1: astonished. <laughs> that,
2: that's not all this book is about. But there are times where, where you might think that in reading it, um, as we uh, mentioned and had, <laughs> had Jason put him on the spot and made him give us the opening line to the book, um, which I'm going to go ahead and do for you now. I came on my cat today again. So that's the launching point for this uh, for this
1: book. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the very beginning of the story kicks off with this dude who's. It's uh, my impression is it's the kind of guy who he's just kind of shuffling through life. He's not very happy with what he does, but he doesn't really see an alternative or have enough energy to make uh, a change to make himself more happy so he's just kind of dealing with whatever level of bullshit you know he has to in order to get from day to day uh including uh his job which um i don't even remember what his actual job was but he was like a cubicle in a cubicle farm kind of situation and um for various reasons he loses his job and um that's where the story kind of kicks in and and the way that, like, the the feel of it, I don't know if you're going to agree with me, have you seen Livius the movie Wanted? I have not. That, uh, Angelina Jolie, James McAvoy, anyway, at the beginning of that movie, it's kind of the similar situation, there's a dude who's just punching the clock and hates his life, and, um, it's a very first person kind of look at how mundane and terrible his existence is, and... For me, this had a very similar feeling in the beginning
2: of the book. Yeah, I, I totally uh, uh, it, agree with your stops, not with Wanted, because I haven't seen it. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's fairly realistic. I think that at times in my life, I found myself kind of in that same that same spot, and you know, I'm thinking most people have, so he's very relatable in that every day is kind of the same thing, and you even do silly, stupid things just to kind of break up the, the monotony. Um, so after he loses his job, um, he sees an infomercial on TV, and this uh, is where it of gets a little weird. So you know, all of us have seen infomercials, but the the infomercial basically reaches out specifically to him. And when I say that, it's it's you know through through a phone call. Yeah, <laughs> it gets a little weird, a little breaking the fourth wall, but like of real life. Yeah. So a package shows up on his door and he has been um, selected to participate in this program called Your Personality is What's Holding You Back, um, which uh, it, you know, is basically a series of DVDs that you watch once a week and you kind of make the commitment to, to follow these DVDs and your life will improve. Um, you know, akin to any exercise, you know, DVD type infomercial workout or whatever, you know, you just have to follow these simple steps and your life is going to change for the better.
1: Right. The twist about it is there's kind of a drawback if you don't follow follow along with the program, where um it, it becomes obvious very early on in the in the book that the program kind of knows what you're doing and there's consequences for not doing what they tell you to. So it goes from being a seemingly Like, a huge coincidence that this nice thing came along at this very specific point in his life, and it's going to be what potentially turns him around to, like, it might be something that's kind
2: of controlling his life. Yeah, it's basically the longer version of the synopsis. So after Mark starts the program, um, you know, we follow him for for, about eight weeks in this program. And, and we see what happens to him. Now, I, we should mention, I guess at the beginning of the book, his name's actually Marky. It's not even Mark. It's one of the first things they suggest to him is that he drop the Y from his name.
1: <laughs> his right. life will be
2: better. <laughs> so people take him seriously, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's a, a handful of other characters that, you know, are you know are important um, part of the, the story. Um, Mark's girlfriend, Emily, who he meets very shortly after joining the program, um, kind of as a as a result of the... I guess we should back up a little bit. So the program, um, it's really simple stuff. So, you know, uh, drop the Y off your last name, go buy yourself a new outfit, read the newspaper every day, um, you know, try to strike up a conversation with with a total stranger about something, you know, newsworthy or relevant that you read. So through Mark's... Um, first couple of weeks, one of the the people that he meets is Emily, and he strikes up a conversation with her about something he read in the newspaper, and they kind of hit it off and, and start hanging out and um, you know, dating. Emily, she was an interesting character.
1: <laughs> she was all right, and and that introduces one of the things that um, I could very much identify with um, throughout the book. There's a lot of uh, talk about technology and um, social media and stuff, but in the beginning, the first introduction really to technology is text messaging with people, um, especially Emily, and her texting. Uh, I guess grammar and spelling is just atrocious, and it's constantly bothering Mark, the protagonist, about like how poorly. She spells in a text message, and and his text messages in the book are obviously, you know, grammatically correct and have this proper punctuation, and I'm I'm just right in the same boat. Like, if, if I get a weird, poorly spelled, you know, text message, it just drives me nuts. It's like, you know what, take the time. It's not like, you know, I can't imagine a situation where you can't take the additional, like, 15 seconds to just do it properly.
2: Yeah, I think to explain a little bit, it's not just the poor spelling; it's more of that the way we imagine teenage girls text. You know, right. the number four instead of the word. Uh, you know, and lots of LOLs and right, like running late and it's L eight, like that yes, kind of bullshit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh. So there's that. Um, the other you know big big character in the book is the program. You know, this this entity is is certainly its own character in the book and although it's very mysterious and we don't specifically meet a bunch of different people that work for it it's it's definitely the 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 third major character in the book in my opinion would you agree that it's almost yeah yeah
1: the the kind of a combination of like the catalyst for the change but also the
2: actual antagonist in a lot of ways Yeah, Mark frequently um, gets either, you know, through the course of the book, either notes on his door or text messages from the program, either you know, telling him to do things or asking him why he did something. Um, At one point, he actually meets a few of the people. Once he kind of steps out of line, that they come back to kind of course correct him on his program to you know be a better person.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, so it's essentially it's presented as an entity that basically knows everything he does and expects certain things from him done in a certain way within a certain time frame. And if he deviates from that, there are consequences. And he's shown in the beginning in different ways kind of what, how bad the consequences could be without spoiling anything. Um, And so it's this constant struggle of um, learning how seriously he needs to take the program and and kind of almost like battling f- between liking the program because he is seeing improvement in his life and disliking the program because it's like an evil you know concept it's it's interesting
2: yeah yeah it's uh, a <laughs> oddly I think that if uh, if this type of program if like the you know those like late night workout, programs were like this, I I might sign up even knowing. It's all portrayed like it's so bad in the book. But you know what? That's if you have the right motivation, um, you can accomplish great things. And and perhaps, you know, sometimes that motivation has to be like fear. (laughs) I don't don't know. But (laughs) I was reading this. I was like, I don't really see the downside to much of this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like he said to himself, what if a self-help program was like at you know with a gun to your head you know <laughs> because yeah.
2: that's really how it's written it's kind of funny yeah so um one other character I, well we should mention two other characters i guess one being the cat spike um who is the <laughs> the subject of the opening line of the book um who you know and, and you see this i've seen it at least frequently enough in books where you know that the character is is uh or the, uh, the pet is a character that someone bounces their ideas off of and, and it, it it's always done pretty well. It's always done kind of in a very cutesy way, and and I think that uh, the Jason did a good job with it on uh, in this particular case. Yeah, he
1: pulled it off, and it was like, in a situation. I usually I don't like pets very much. Um, in a situation like this, where primarily the the protagonist is a solitary character, with the exception of having a girlfriend uh, here and there throughout the book. Yeah, it's like really boring to just look at one personality for a prolonged amount of time so just like a minor anthropomorphization of a cat i think really helped out in situations where you know it could just be like he the cat looks at him in a way that you know he knows the cat's judging him so you know we're we're highlighting a negative behavior you know that type of thing so um i dug it and it spikes a female cat so, yep. yeah, that that comes up several times when he's explaining his cat's female,
2: but has the name Spike. And uh, neighbor Franklin, his uh, his neighbor, who's like the nosy neighbor, but yeah. has like a, uh, you know, insights into life and Mark's life specifically. So, uh, yeah. hey, what well, what was that accent supposed to be? Fra- Franklin spoke <laughs> with a weird. Did you pin that down on what?
1: Well, like instead of you, he would say like yiz, right? Like y i s. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, quite. Nail that down, but I like Franklin as a character. So, yeah, no idea what that uh, what that accent was supposed to be. Franklin was cool. Um, Franklin reminds me of um, so. Franklin was basically this like almost overly friendly um, neighbor, the guy that lived next door, who's um, you know just always eager to talk. He's an older dude. I think he was just, like sixty, right?
2: Um, could have been. I know he was older. I don't remember if there was an age. Slept
1: on it. Yeah, and doesn't work, so he's just always around. Um, I dug the character. It reminded me of um, when I used to live in Chicago a few years ago in a different place. There was a dude who just um, sat on a like a lawn chair in front of the doors, well, not in front of, but next to the front doors of the apartment building. And I think his name was Ed, and he was just like this super nice guy, always just saying hi and asking about your life and stuff. And totally like Ed was in my mind the whole time I was reading this this Franklin character.
2: Plot-wise, I don't think we can really say anything else. Um, overall, the story is uh, is very much social commentary told through an eight-week program. You know, I mean, from, you know, how to use social media to what products to buy and review sites like Amazon or, you know, Blu-ray discs, it's it's everything, you know, I mean, I read read this over the course of, you know, two, three days and it's like, while I was reading it, one of these things would come up like while I was reading it, if it was a Facebook notification on my phone or, you know, if I you happen to see a, you know, an ad for a movie or whatever, it's like it was everyday life kind of crammed into this, this book and told through the story. So it's kind of some really interesting stuff there too. Yeah. It,
1: yeah. It's like equal parts, Commercialism, materialism, and um, like the how like how social media basically is everywhere in our lives, or and is our social media presence more important than our literal life presence and stuff like that? So it does kind of cause you, unless you're just living in a bubble somewhere, to think about. It makes you reflective a little bit on things you usually wouldn't think too much about. Like, while I was reading it, my clout score went up. And I was like, oh, cool, my clout score went up. And then, like, in the context of the book, I'm just thinking to myself... Just from reading this book? <laughs> no. <Look. laughs> but I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, why do I really care if that goes up, you know? So it was interesting that it almost made me a little introspective about things that I just take for granted or don't, don't spend too much time thinking about.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I recognized some of myself or some of my traits in 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 Mark or in, in the things that the program was telling him to do. But I recognized other people in it too. You know, I'd read a section and, and be like, "Oh yeah, I know that guy who's always doing that particular thing that I just read." You know, if it's a you know a, a brand allegiance or if it's a you know like a social media thing, you know, it it, it was just interesting because. At some point, I think I hit on everybody I know and interact with with some type of characteristic from this book that, you know, I identified them with right away. Start reading a line and go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. The guy that's always buying the Blu ray movies and talking about them, you know, like (laughs) I know that guy. So, yep. It had
1: creepy elements too because, um, and I'm not talking about like super creepy, but just like because the program recommends that you do certain things, um, In his day-to-day activities, sometimes people interacting with him would do those things, and you're like, oh, it's the program, and it was a little bit creepy, so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Yeah, I just had a thought about what would be really cool to advertise this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it would work, but how cool would it be just to have a series of YouTube videos where it's people having read a news article just going up to strangers and trying to talk to them about it?
2: Get the feeling a lot of those people get punched,
1: right? Which would make it very cool. Yeah, so. like that scene in Fight Club where he tells everybody to go pick a fight with someone.
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> that was like the best part of the whole movie. It's like the guy with the hose, and he keeps spraying
2: the guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I, Donnelly does just a great job, kind of interweaving our everyday technological, commercial, you know, life into in, into a, a story. Um, yeah, I, we've all seen articles on this type of thing. And, you know, if it's how to do something better on Twitter or, uh, you know, for all the, for years I had a subscription to um, Men's uh, Fitness and they had like a fashion section and it told you what to wear. So, you know, we've all seen these things. And, and this could have been a very boring, you know, article-like documentary commentary on life and instead it was well with some interesting characters and in and a, and a neat little storyline delivering the same message that you know you could buy a book on on how the commercial world is affecting us and you know you kind of get the same message out of it yeah what
1: do you think about a comparison maybe to i got that kind of like strong satire feel like maybe max berry sg brown ish kind of stuff um, yeah, a little less zombies
2: than uh, <laughs> fewer <laughs> zombies. <laughs> yeah. Same kind of feel. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, it's it's it it's, it's right out there with satirists, satirists, Sat- satirists, satirists. <laughs> with those people who write satire.
1: <laughs> yeah. um, You're really close to saying satiriasis again, which is like male nymphomania. How do you even know that? <laughs> Big Lebowski, man. You never saw the movie Big Lebowski, did you? No Maud says it in one of the scenes. all my big Lebowski fans out there know what I'm talking
2: about um, yeah, definitely definitely some Max Berry. Um, you know the, the beginning kind of reminded me of company, one of his earlier books, you know, kind of the the cubicle hate and you know and then there's a little syrup yeah with the commercialism so I don't think he obviously you know he talked about being a fan of, of Max Berry when he was on the show but yeah definitely in that same vein as apathy and syrup yeah. and company
1: so. for sure yeah, I think we've done pretty much as much justice to the story as we can without um, just spoiling the hell out of it so uh, what do you think about doing some quotes sir
2: yeah, I've got a few of those, and, and some of them not so much as quotes as things I just want to talk about. But my first one is indeed a um, passage from the uh, from the book. So this is from very, this is like 6% into the book. Um, it, the line I like is, I have to set this up a little bit so it makes sense, um, his boss claims that, uh, you know, there was a draft and papers got blown all over, uh, all over the office, This is, in fact, impossible since we have a modern office building and it does not have any windows that open in fear of someone jumping. I didn't understand why someone would jump out of a building at work until I worked for her. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, I like that. Um, I've
1: got just the one that I wanted to do as a quote. I have another one that kind of reinforces something I said earlier, but uh, this is, I think, within the first few pages of the book. And um, I'll read the quote, then we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. When everything in front of me unblurs, the first thoughts that come to mind are that I should have named the cat Eileen, and that I should start the day off right. Uh,
2: yeah.
1: Later on in the book, he actually plays the song, Come on, Eileen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, it's cheesy, it's kind of on the nose, but uh, I, I really appreciated the fact that he went there. It's a great song, too. Yeah. <laughs> I like the song. I I have this creeping suspicion that it's either going to be at the beginning or the
2: end of this episode. (laughs) That's that's totally possible. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This next one I just want to talk about because I I, I have a potential answer. I wonder how long a betta would have to live by itself in a little glass box before it decided to jump out and kill itself. Do you know what a betta is? The fish? Yeah. The The fighting fighting fish? The fighting fish? Yeah. Um, apparently exactly 24 hours after I go on vacation is the (laughs) answer to that. I actually had one at work and uh, told my staff I was going on vacation. I was like, fish better be alive when you get back. It's better. Listen, Friday you need to clean the bowl. You need to feed it every day. They called me the next morning. They're like, we came into work and it's just laying on the floor, dead. (laughs) I
1: I have a fish tank story. You got a second for this? Oh, yeah, I got nothing but time. All right, when I was a child, we had a fish tank, and it had uh, those little like black sharks with the orange tails and
2: mm-hmm.
1: angelfish and a handful of other things, and it had like the sucker fish, and we had a couple crabs. I don't know what type of crabs they were because I was like eight. I don't remember any of this stuff, but like, um, we lost one crab. like It died, but then another crab literally disappeared like one day it was not in the tank and it wasn't like it just jumped like because we couldn't see it on the floor or surrounding the tank anywhere the thing just fully uh, full-on vanished um we i mean dug through moved all the you know plant fake plants and rocks around and everything and it was just nowhere in the tank and um it we were just baffled by it but it's just a little crab so we gave up and went on with life and and uh, I had two Dobermans uh, growing up. So one night we're sitting around, it's nighttime uh, watching TV before you know bedtime or whatever. And one of my dogs just starts growling and uh, stands up and is like, whoa, whoa, standing over by the TV, just growling. And, and we're like, what the hell's going on?" So we turn on the lights and she's just growling and we can't see anything like we, you know if it was like an animal or something. Mm-hmm. but there was nothing there and we're like, what the hell's going on? So finally, we, we get to I get to the place where I can kind of see what she's growling at, and it's this little ball of dust, walking on the floor. And it turns out it was the crab. The crab had climbed out of the tank, and was living somewhere in our house for like a week, and and like dust was collecting on top of it as it like walked around under the furniture and stuff. It was really weird. Dude, that's really weird.
2: <laughs> it's <was> freaky, dude. <laughs> this little ball of dust.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, this next one I'm going to read, I just, this, there's just so much good in this paragraph. As usual, I forget what level of the parking garage I parked on and picked three different floors, hoping that I could see my car from the elevator on one of them. I can only imagine what the security guard who watches me do this thinks. Uh, the luck for the day seems to have changed when the door slides open on my first guess and I could see my car across the room in one of the spots my OCD lets me park. As long as there's one wall on the right side of my car, I'm fine. Then again, I don't really have OCD, but I do like routine and false self-diagnosis. Nice.
1: It's like um, in that David James Keaton story, I can't remember, I think you read it at uh, the Noir at the Bar 2 release, and the the protagonist said something along the lines of, I've got five things, or I'm missing five things. Um, a nervous or or... Uh, a central nervous system and the ability to do math or something like that. Yep. Oh, cheesy joke. <laughs> the only other thing, I just wanted to give an example of how terrible some of the text messages were that he was receiving from Emily. So um, toward the beginning of the book, there's a text conversation between the two, and um, he uh, they're trying to make a plan for, for when they're going to get together. And he says tonight, and she says can't, what about tomorrow? But can't is spelled C-N-A-T, and then what about tomorrow? Tomorrow is T-M-R-W. <laughs> and then at the after the text conversation, he says, I shudder every time I read another text with bad grammar or selling, spelling mistakes.
2: You know, something interesting he says towards the end, too, is like this must be so much more work than just doing <laughs> the right word, and that's what I've always thought. Like I, I couldn't, even if I tried to do that type of texting i'd like literally fall apart i think yeah because like autocorrect yeah yeah um here's the last one i have that's really more a quote than just kind of a point of mention um (laughs) what is a relationship really if not a new opportunity to prove that you're not as shitty as your ex thinks you are (laughs) very intuitive
1: Okay, and this isn't really necessarily a quote as much as just an example of uh, what the correspondences are that come from the program. This is the uh, first note that Mark gets from the program regarding what he's going to do. And it goes, Dear Mark, yes, your name is Mark now. Trust us and introduce yourself as Mark from now on. Marky doesn't give you any respect and you know it. Each Blu-ray disc in this package is a lesson that you need to learn. You will find the guidelines for the program attached to this letter. Follow them exactly and your life will completely change for the better. We believe that everyone has potential, sometimes it just takes a lot to get it out. This program is made for people that need an extra push. It's a step-by-step guide for everything from attitude to clothing. If you follow the program to a T and do everything it says, the program comes at no cost. You will only need to pass on a letter that we send you and the Blu-rays included to the next people in your area we choose, as just happened to you. If you do not follow the guidelines below, we will make sure that this program costs you more than money. This is not a threat. This is a promise. Thank you for your patronage. Your personality is what's holding you back. Which is the name of the program. Yeah.
2: I gotta tell you, I... I, I I'd probably buy the program. I really don't see the downside
1: to it. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do the program.
2: We should. I mean, we've got everything we need, right?
1: I mean, this book is the program. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Let's do the program. That could be our... uh, We could do a whole podcast on the program. (laughs) That'd be awesome. Jason Donnelly, if you're out there, we expect some money for this.
2: I, uh... I, uh... This is also from a letter, but I kind of want to talk. When I said that, you know, I I recognize these things, I see people do. But the more I was reading this and with the success that Mark was having, I I really thought that some of this would be beneficial to the podcast. This is about using um, Facebook. Post on 10 people's pages a question about something they enjoy. Ask a simple question on your page that requires a response. Like at least 20 things, be they comments, pictures, groups, etc. on Facebook. These seemingly small tasks will make your friends... And fans want to interact with you more because you make them feel better about themselves. You make them feel smarter, nicer, and or more important. Keep up the good work. See, we don't yeah. do enough of that. But do you recognize? Do you know people that do that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. See, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah, these are legit strategies. Yeah, so... And I'm thinking in, in all likelihood that uh, some of this may have come from, from research. I know there's some actual books mentioned mm-hmm. um, in here, like... A social network and stuff, so I would imagine he probably did some research too into some of these things. Yeah. So. That's um, it.
1: That's all I got for quotes. I don't know about you.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm right with you. I think I'm. I think I'm good.
1: All right. I all think right. it's wrap up time. It is.
2: Would you like to go first, sir?
1: All right. Um. Usually, it's Olivia's that says what to say about a book like this. Um it's interesting because the premise is pretty straightforward and a lot of the really more interesting stuff is stuff that we can't talk about because it'll spoil the book so i'll just say that in general um it's refreshing um it's not a lot of books that kind of have this approach like i said with livius earlier definitely more of a satire uh feel to it with um the, the office life and the, the self-help book and, and uh, I'm not sorry, the self-help program and the way that social media and stuff plays into it. It's all very current eventsy, um, But it kept my attention and the whole time it kept me wondering like where is this going? And there was a couple times where I thought it could, could turn this way or that way um, but it, it really did keep me guessing which I appreciate. Um, overall I just dug the book I thought it was a fun read and, um, yeah, so I'm going to go with three and a half stars with it. All
2: right. Um, it was a really quick read. Like the book didn't, it seemed less long than it actually was, which is a good thing. I mean, the pacing was, was very, very solid. Um, a, a little more masturbation in it than there should be in, in any thing ever. <laughs> um, I've seen, I've seen masturbation videos. I've lost masturbation. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just, just very, very insightful, totally satire, um, not real heavy on like the, the corny, funny portion, um, like a lot of satire can be, uh, you know, and he, and he took a, a subject that I think um, probably, okay, so probably to most people that actually know what a podcast is, um, you've probably encountered 75% of, of, of the things that he talks about in this book, and <laughs> um, the other interesting point that uh, I want to touch on Rob had made when he said refreshing, do you realize how often writers try not to incorporate a brand name or product or actual movie or website into their stories? Yeah. You know, so it was kind of refreshing because when we talk about things, you know, in real life, that's that's what happens. You know, we talk about a movie or you talk about going to get a Pepsi or, or whatever. So it was almost more realistic than a lot of um, fiction, uh, other than the weird program stuff. Um, that, that we get to read, uh, especially here on the podcast. So, um, overall, I really liked it. There were some great themes in it, and uh, I'm going to give it four stars. All
1: right. Gripped just got booked. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Remember, tomorrow's the first day of the rest of your life. That's right. The rest of our lives.
2: Hey, and I know, I just want to apologize. Jonathan Letham, if you're listening. Um, you were the other option for this week. And we want Jason Donnelly instead. So, sorry. <laughs>
1: you got bumped for, uh, for Jason Donnelly. I will say, if he chose to write a more interesting-sounding book, uh, we might have been making this apology to Jason Donnelly.
2: Holy crap, it sounds like, like garbage, right? Because I was like, dude, I know you like lot. <laughs> we can do this. And you're like, nope, read all about it, not interested. Yeah. I was like, wow.
1: Yeah, and I'm never like that. If I've read of an author, I always try and squeeze them into the podcast somehow. But this book, I'm like, man, how disinterested I am just means that Livius is going to be twice as disinterested. So I didn't even bother. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah,
2: it, it's. I actually, before we were doing the show, I was reading a little bit of a, an excerpt from it, just kind of skipping around paragraph to paragraph. Is a lengthy excerpt I found on um, it was like NPR's website. And yeah, I, I could he couldn't hold my attention for all paragraphs. <laughs> I was oh, like, this is terrible. Oh, yeah, that's so. terrible, dude. But at any rate, uh, yeah, Jonathan Lethem, a uh, girl that crawled across the table. That was okay. Uh, this doesn't sound like it's half that book.
1: Oh, man, he got too serious. is like J.K. Rowling with the casual vacancies. She should have thrown some wizards in there, or Dementor, or something, and I would have
2: dug the book a whole lot more. I don't know what a Dementor is, but it sounds cool. That's why I said it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so,
0: uh, there's it's not a whole lot going on in book news this week. This is book news. I'm Skip Hapersley. Now for the news. James Big Pockets Patterson is giving away $1 million to small indie bookstores. The only stipulation? They must have a children's section. This is part of his effort to get younger audiences interested in books, and specifically, his books. After the million dollars is donated and the bookstores have been saved, the following James Patterson books are scheduled for release. Alex Cross in the case of the missing lollipop, Women's Murder Club 15, Bad Babysitter, Maximum Ride 9, The Loop De Loop, and other exciting rolly coasters. And Daniel X Armageddon 2, The Broccoli Protocol. In other news, author of Inferno and the Da Vinci Code, Dean Brown, is said to be writing his next project. This time, it's an album. At a press conference, Brown stated that he has 12 songs but won't tell us what they're about or how they end. He said it will be the first mystery thriller album to date and will be asking the questions the world has been wanting to know. At press time, Brown is calling the album Why Did Tom Hanks Grow His Hair Like That? And now, New York Times Best Sellers in Fiction Recap. A Cool Burn has Dean Brown's Inferno at number 5. Number four has two X's, it Sticks by Sherilyn Kenyon. Missing the Call is J.K. Rowling's Robert Galbraith's classic, The Cuckoo's Calling, at number three. Loose Lips Sunk the Mayan Secrets by Clive Custler to number two. And Never Wanting to Look Back is Never Go Back in First Place by Lee Childs. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Hapersley, signing off.
2: I did read, and of course I saw this on, you know, where I get all my news, Facebook, that the book, The Invisible Man, mm-hmm. was banned from a North Carolina, I mean, it was banned by, like, the county, so I'm guessing all the school libraries in that, in that county, uh, you know, won't have it, and I don't know if it was taught in classrooms, but basically they're going to remove it from um, view of the students, which first, my first thought was... Why is there a book about an invisible guy? What is the big deal? What could possibly be happening in there? And then I thought, of course, if I was an invisible guy, I'd go look at women changing or showering or something. Yeah. So I thought, all right, maybe there's some really creepy scenes in there like that. But then I was looking for something to talk about on tonight's podcast. <laughs> I clicked this link and I got, so I'm reading this. And uh, apparently it's uh, it's it's by an African-American gentleman Um. But it's about being African American. It's totally not about being invisible. Mm-hmm. Hey, so. you know what the problem
1: with being invisible and going and look at looking at women in the showers is, right? No, bumping into all the other invisible dudes looking at women in the showers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not sure if that was just really funny or really really creepy. Because <laughs> now that you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> what if there are invisible people around just all the time?
1: Yeah, that's what you got to be careful when you go invisible and you're looking in the shower. You weren't the first person
2: to think of it. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> but instead, instead, this guy's black. Yeah. And the book was banned. So I don't know if this is about a black guy going looking at women in the showers. <laughs> I'm not really sure what happened here. Uh. So, so I'm going to read a little bit of this excerpt. Oh, this is how I got on the Letham thing. because This is uh, when I Googled it to talk about it. <laughs> the first things that came up was NPR.org. Uh, North Carolina County voted this week to ban Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man from school libraries. The Ashboro Courier Tribune reports that the decision followed a complaint from a parent who called the novel, in quotes, too much for teenagers. The decision was 5-2 to two, with one board member claiming, I didn't find any literary value. The 1952 novel, which won the National Book Award, is among the most famous novels dealing with black identity and black invisibility in America. Now, I didn't read that line. I skipped down to the bottom of this paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> and it said, the famous opening lines of the novel read, I am an invisible man. No, I am not a spook like those who haunted Edgar Allan Poe, nor am I one of your Hollywood movie ectoplasms. So I'm like, all right, so this guy's invisible, but he's not like those <laughs> people. I'm a man of substance, of flesh and bone, fiber and liquids, and I might even be said to possess a mind. So I'm like, all right, I kind of get this too. So I invisible understand simply because people refuse to see me. And I was like, oh, like it just fucking dawned <laughs> on me. Like oh, so there you go. I thought Poe was haunted by birds. I think he was haunted by a variety of things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a book's not banned in the in the North Carolina school library system. Are you going to say the booked anthology? The booked anthology. Now that we're waiting back for the vote, (laughs) they've been deliberating. (laughs) But
1: um, (laughs) no concerned parent is saying that that's going. Well, actually, if any book, it's too much for teenagers. There's definitely some stuff in there that might be a little too much for teenagers.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, but yeah, it was a it was a hard segue there. I didn't know what else to say about that except that um, I'm sure lots of other people knew <laughs> that um, the book was not about a guy who is invisible, but it was about a guy who feels invisible because he's African American and he peeps on women in the showers. <laughs>
1: oh no. He's bumping into the other invisible people, the actually invisible people. Well, speaking about the anthology really quick, and I'm not going to belabor this, although Jason Donnelly's book almost seems like it's telling us we should, uh, I just want to say that lately there's been um, kind of a a community conversation on Facebook about um, some stories, like certain contributors are writing about other contributor stories, and then everybody's kind of chatting about it. Um, in the comments on Facebook, which is great. Um, a lot of good talk about the opening story by Fred Venturini called A Pound of Flesh, and then obviously following on from there, which is awesome. And I was really excited to see such like kind of uh, like a, a gathering around conversation about the story, and I was like, this is really cool. I wish this, this would happen. Oh, we're the October book club selection for Lit Reactor. So... <laughs> Um, I encourage everybody, whether you are a contributor that's reading other people's stories or uh, a listener who bought the book or you just however you happen to come across this book, again, just to join up at Lit Reactor and uh, join the conversation over there during the month of October where, you know, we basically have a space for a whole month for everybody to get together and, and talk together about the stories.
2: Yep looking very very much looking forward to uh to this 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 should be a lot of fun um rob and i will, will be around i don't know how much we're gonna poke in on see here's the problem because someone's gonna say something negative and i'm gonna get all pissed <laughs> off and then it's gonna turn it so i'll be i'll be hovering on the on the edges of that conversation this will be the invisible man yes yes i <laughs>
1: will i will be what's that we got a really um, nice tweet earlier today
2: we did, it was actually from yesterday but it was from Tim Beverstock yeah. um, do you have it pulled up? never mind, I still have it pulled up on my phone which is my favorite place to use Twitter by the way so uh, Tim Beverstock hopefully we're pronouncing that correctly um, of Warmed and Bound um, says, the book anthology fucking rocks, great effort thanks Tim yeah, so it's not just us saying it about the book yeah, there's, there's Tim, he's saying it Tim too Tim Beverstock yeah He's not saying as enthusiastically as we are. but uh, And don't forget, if you've read it, um, or once you're done reading it, head over to Amazon, click the little five stars, <laughs> write a little mini review. Um, you can click the four stars. Someone did, which means we'll never, it'll never. Do you understand that now we can get a million five-star reviews and it'll never be five stars on Amazon?
1: Well, we might have to program that person.
2: Yes. I wonder if you can go back and re-change her. Mm. Have to if we can, we're going to make them change it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, at uh, any rate, um, speaking of books, uh, our last episode, which I know a lot of you guys listened to because the download numbers are just fantastic. Um, J. David Osborne's Kickstarter. Here's an update. Halfway through, well, a little better than halfway through, 14 days to go. You still got two weeks to get in on this. Um, they only need $1,000 for this to fund. That's out of 5000 So I know it sounds like a lot. But when you started with zero and you're at $4,027, the thousand doesn't seem like that big of a deal anymore.
1: That's right. But it is a big deal if it doesn't happen in the next 14
2: days. Yep. Yep. Because then I may not get my uh, my books. I kicked in for books. Yeah, that's right. Because I want to read some of these. Yeah. Kick in, you sons of bitches. Make sure Livius gets his reads. That's right. That's right. So, um, yeah, you still got two weeks to do it you can get anywhere from 2 to all five books and then like weird things like a date with J David Osborne which i realize he may not have sold himself really well during the podcast on uh, on wanting to to be um, somewhere with him where there's alcohol but i assure you that he's a fine gentleman and he's famous and that your virtue will be safe yes he's io9 famous, famous. Yeah. yeah yeah very much so <laughs> so go kick in uh, 10 20 50 500 whatever uh, for $700, 700 bucks, the J. David Osborne will hand-deliver all five print editions and take you to dinner at Applebee's. At Applebee's. Get some apps. At at Applebee's. So uh, I don't have $700 and I'm a little afraid of J. David Osborne. So, <laughs> either way. I just don't like Applebee's that much. Otherwise, I'm in. Oh, there you go. So, Our reasons for not kicking in <laughs> 700 bucks for a Kickstarter project. Alright. Um... Anything else? Um,
1: I don't have anything else uh, what do we got going on for next episode
2: So we're gonna be reading a book called the Returned um, which is kind of a nice way to head into October because it has kind of a creepy feel to it um, but here's here's why we're uh, here's why we're reading it um, or why I suggested that we should read it. There is a, uh, so I'm going through looking at new releases and, you know, and, and looking at what's out there for us to review. And I, I come across this book called The Return and I go, huh, that's interesting. A couple weeks ago I started watching a French TV show called The Returned, which was based on a movie called The Returned, which has, uh, actually, I have the synopsis in front of me. In a small mountain town, many dead people reappear, apparently alive and normal. Road accident victim teenager Camille, suicidal bridegroom Simon, Victor, a small boy who was murdered by burglars, and Serge, a serial killer. Okay, so they come back to life after many, many years, and they have no recollection of what happened to them. Like, for example, the the girl who was a road accident victim, all of a sudden, she just, like, starts walking up this mountain, and she comes home, and it's, like, five years later like she went to school this morning and just really doesn't know what happened. So <clears throat> I then read the synopsis for The Returned, the book, which is basically the same thing, just not with these characters. Mm. So we're introduced to a world where people have started coming back from the dead with no explanation. And uh, I thought, huh, this is kind of interesting. So we're reviewing it. I want to see what this guy's all about. I have not... Um, dug into how closely tied this is to that original French film or the TV show, which is coming to, I think, IFC. So the Return series, which is just, I think it's an eight-part, um, kind of like mini series, um, will be coming to American TV, hopefully overdubbed, because uh, there was uh, not a real good job with the, uh, with the subtitling on mm-hmm. it. But yeah, it was kind of interesting. So what I want to see is, did this guy just kind of rip off a concept? Because, I mean, con- conceptually... They're the same thing. That's interesting. I'm just glad it's not about like
1: the grocery store, all the stuff that people bring back that they don't want, or something.
2: Would <laughs> be boring. Yeah, that was be the boring. best joke I had for that. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're starting off. We're gonna head towards October with that, and then, then our first review in October should be Doctor Sleep by the master of horror Stephen King. Do you know what holiday it is today? Do uh, no. It is um, Stephen King's birthday. Today? And Misty Bennett's birthday. Yep. And Misty Bennett's birthday. We
1: cannot forget that. I sent her a nice no. text with lots of hearts and exclamation points. Oh, Happy birthday, Misty. Happy birthday, Misty. I think this is the first, like, friend of the
2: podcast shout-out on a birthday we've given, isn't it? Yep. I believe so. It's also Jeremy Robert Johnson's birthday, not to, not to forget. Oh, him. fine. Happy birthday, Jeremy but Robert But we haven't hung out with him in multiple states. That's right. That's right. So. FCJR forever. I don't know what that had to do with Jeremy Robert Johnson, but okay. <laughs> but okay. I was going back to
1: Misty because she invented it. Gotcha, okay. Um, can I talk about something very briefly that has nothing to do with the podcast? Hey, you've got to do the editing. You talk for as long as you want. The Blacklist. Did we talk about this before? We did not, but Monday, Monday, Monday. James Spader. Back on the television must have run out of money (laughs) we talked about him briefly oh we didn't even mention the Lit Reactor the episode of Lit Reactor that I'm on is available now episode number 16 on the Lit Reactor website at one point um, we're talking about casting for the 50 Shades of Grey movie I may have recommended James Spader as the Christian Grey character yep you may have anyway looking forward to that this is a one off I happened to see a picture of James Spader and I was like I need to see Blacklist is it, is it on the poster on your wall? No, I, I liked the blacklist on Facebook.
2: Okay. Can I, uh, I don't know, how'd you feel about the Avengers? The movie? poster on my wall. Um, I like the Avengers a lot. Um, did you know that he has been cast to be uh, the villain in the next one?
1: What?
2: That's incredible. Yeah, he must be really broke. Yeah, he's going to play Ultron. I don't know who Ultron is, but I believe that to be the villain in the um, second Avengers
1: movie. I don't care who Ultron is. He's going to be awesome. If he's got that drawn-out James Spader way of talking.
2: I, I'm sure that's why he was probably cast. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing if we dig into this Ultron guy... That that's exactly what he's gonna sound like.
1: I'm just imagining in my head right now a co- like a conversation between like James Spader at his ultimate James Spader speak, uh talking to Alan Rickman at his like ultimate like Alan Rickman level of talk, you know what I'm talking about? You mean from from Die Hard? Well yeah, but he was in like eight million things after Die Hard. Yeah, it's the only one I care about. <laughs> he was in that Robin Hood movie with uh, uh Waterworld dude, Kevin Costner
2: kevin Costner, i did like that yeah
1: he was the not as much as i like die hard though cutting someone's heart out with a spoon anyway he's going to this is why we don't have a movie review podcast
2: you know there just aren't enough movie review podcasts out there <laughs> that's all i'm saying
1: mm, yeah
2: all right let's kill this all right until next time i'm and i'm
1: rob olson keep reading